Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Father, we just want to uh, recognise the truth of those words. May we be willing to go where you are leading us, as deep as that may be. May we not be afraid. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence amongst us. We pray for your awareness, uh, for our awareness of you, uh, for our desire to grow, to be more obedient, to become more like you, to be transformed into your likeness. And as we open up your word, as we reflect on your word and the faithfulness of those who have gone before us, Father, we want to just step into and uh, have a sensitivity towards what you are doing. May the words that I speak be the words of your spirit and anything that... uh, can be picked up, that people would pick it up with a sense of uh, openness and anything that needs to be laid down, that it would just be washed off and washed away. And in all this we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus. Amen. It's always a little bit daunting uh, coming back from holidays. I don't know why that is. But there's always a sense of... <gasps> Does that how people feel like that when they go back to work or not? Yep, someone? That's good. Um, but uh, I do need to say uh, you've, you've been blessed, we've been blessed over the last few weeks. Uh, I don't know how long it's been since I've actually uh, spoken uh, in this capacity, but uh, wow, what an what a incredible diversity, sense of diversity that we have uh, from the incredibly powerful and personal and stirring messages that have all been invitations for us, for you. Uh, to press deeper into the heart of the Father and to live uh, out of the fullness of uh, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not easy to stand up here in many ways. And I mean, we can sit here and we might see people who seem to stand up the front and do it easy. Uh, but when we're asking people to stand up here and, and bring a message um, in the midst of um, other things that they're doing and other experiences that they have, uh, it's, it can be challenging in the midst of caring for family and working full time and other commitments that they have. Um, so to, I just wonder if you do, we can just express our appreciation to Glenda, to Linda, to Josh, uh, to Damien and Jared. We want to say we honour you and we thank you for the word and the message that you brought. Would you celebrate them, please? Inevitably, when I go on holidays, though, a number of people will uh, comment to me that uh, I'm doing myself out of a job. And what I want to say publicly is, excellent, you're catching on. Um, This is the task, this is the call, uh, is to raise up other people and to develop other people into ministry. Uh, The other day, I saw a snippet of an article that said how important it is to stand on a platform and to invite other people to stand on the platform and speak into the life of the church. It's good for the body, it's good for the the minister, uh, and it's good for the wider community because it's to recognise that and it reminds us that the paid minister or the paid ministers, the paid people, are not the linchpin of the church. God's the one building his church. 
Um, and we labour with God, we partner with God, uh, but we need to be reminded. I know other senior pastors who I've, and I've said to them, you know, I'm having six weeks off the platform and I'm allowing other people, to, and they go, what, six weeks off the platform? They can't handle it. Uh, it makes me laugh. Uh, but it's God building his church and together we're invited to share in partnership with God as he builds his church and to see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Rosa Parks is well known uh, for, um, I guess, partnering with and helping momentum grow in the movement about uh, breaking down segregation between the whites and the blacks throughout the um, 1950s. Uh, she was uh, arrested and became kind of the face of the movement along with Martin Luther King uh, when she stepped on a bus and uh, sat down on a seat that's normally reserved for white people. Um, and on the December the 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks had decided that she'd had enough of this. And she refused to vacate the seat that was normally reserved for white people. And so she was arrested or kicked off the bus. Um, and uh, this whole, she's well known for that one moment. But what I discovered in this last week was actually there's a whole... Uh, story behind this, as there often is. This is a, a revolution that had been building in Rosa Parks. See, in 1943, so that's 12 years before this moment, before this movement really took, before Rosa Parks became the face of this movement. 1943, Rosa Parks walked onto the bus through the front seat, through the front doors of the bus, normally reserved for white people. Black people were meant to uh, go to the back and stay at the back. They were meant to enter through the back door. Uh, but in 1943, um, she tried to walk on the front door of the bus and the driver, by the name of James Blake, pushed her off, physically pushed her off. And as Rosa Parks stood at the driver in 1943 and said, please don't push me, don't touch me, I'll get off, she dropped her handbag. And in that moment, she began a movement of defiance even then. When, when she went to pick up the handbag, she actually sat on the front seat where she's not supposed to sit, enough just to pick up her handbag and keep walking. Rosa Parks then avoided that bus that was driven by that, or any, drive, any bus that had the driver, James Blake, on it. She then avoided him for the next 12 years. 12 years. For 12 years, I can't imagine what Rosa Parks must have been feeling. This is ridiculous. The movement growing, the sense of injustice, the sense of anger. For 12 years, a sense of fear of coming face to face with the driver by the name of James Blake. 12 years. Rosa Parks maybe went home or caught another bus and with a sense of this isn't fair, but what can we do about it? This isn't right, but what can we do about it? And it was 12 years later, and it was at the reports and the information that I've read has been that she, through sheer tiredness of her work and other things that she'd been doing and absent-mindedness, she steps onto the bus again on December the 1st, 1955, that James Blake is driving. And that's the movement, that's the beginning of the movement. Apparently now there's statues and seats reserved on the front in that city 
of, uh, in honour of Rosa Parks. The case became national. Civil rights lawyers seized an opportunity to test this out in court. But Rosa at the time was caring for her sick mum along with her husband. And she, as she contemplated this idea of um, testing this case out in court, her sick mum and her husband begged her not to. Some of the language was around, um, they will lynch you from the tallest telephone pole in town. Now this is hard for us, maybe not for all of us, but for me this is hard to wrap my head around. Her husband knew the cost. Rosa, the white folks will kill you. But see, to move somewhere requires a dissatisfaction, an unsettling. It's a choice to move away from complacency or just sheer acceptance. It's more than a dissatisfaction with how things are, but it requires a vision that is bigger than ourselves. A vision, if you want a vision to sustain us, it has to be bigger than the cost that might be personal to me. It has to be aware of the cost and what might be better for us. It requires that we see what is yet unseen and for those who do not yet see it for themselves. We stand up for those who cannot and maybe even will not stand for themselves. So over, the, over my holidays, there are a couple of words that uh, repeatedly came to mind for me and I think they're probably personal and they're probably for the church as well. Words that uh, have given, uh, I guess, some new life and some new energy. See, we've been, as the Horsham Church of Christ, gathering in this space for three months now, possibly April, May, June, July, four months. And it's really easy to get into a routine. We, we're routine people. We like the routine. How many people have found their seat where they like to sit? Yeah. And probably more of us than have admitted to it. See, we're, we're routine people. We like things. I need to come in during the week and change the colours of the seats and move them around so you can't find your point of reference again. Um, but um, So the words that uh, I think we need to celebrate and we need to recognise, and we've done a great job of celebrating, but it's also a recognition that we're not called to be uh, uh, people who simply just accept what is. And it's not just about coming up here and finding our seat and, and just doing the status quo kind of thing. There's something much deeper and much richer that's been placed within us. And I want to say to you, even if you're not a church person, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will recognise that there's something much deeper and much richer that's placed within you. You know that there's times where you have a deep sense of dissatisfaction with the way that things are very easy to get stuck into a, a routine as much as routine can be helpful and discipline is important but to get stuck in that we can sometimes uh, bring about a, a spirit of complacency or just being sheer comfortable complacent is to be defined as smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements when we get to a place where we go that's enough. Can I say to us as a, as a people of God, as a movement of God, as a people called, as followers of Jesus, to simply say that's enough is not a truth this side of heaven. We become so used to where we are that we don't really see any other possibility. Uh, I've heard authors say and people say the two great sources or the two great um, sins if you like foundational to everything else is quite simply laziness of fear we can't be bothered 
or we're too afraid. It's too hard to change or we're too afraid. In the circumstances that can happen that cause us to simply look in and tell ourselves that we've done okay. And certainly there's times where we need to celebrate and say, we've done okay, we've done well. We need to celebrate, no doubt about it. But see, we know a truth, whether that's in the church or in the work, in our parenting, in new relationships, in marriages. There's times where it's just easy, we've just got into a groove. And we just accept these things. We just accept what it is because that's the way it has been or that's the way it always will be. But what you know, if you participate in a workplace, and most of us do, if you're in a family, and most of us are in some expression of family, if you participate in a, in a musical kind of group, if you participate in a sporting team, uh, you know that you need to be engaged, you need to be committed, you need to be striving, committed to improving so that we actually improve those around us either as well. So we're actually called to a larger vision. The church, followers of Jesus are actually called to a larger vision. And I know there's people who are sitting here right now and we're stuck. And we're stuck because of circumstances, we're stuck because of decisions that we've made, we're stuck because of decisions that other people have made, we're stuck because things haven't worked out. And our, and our eyes have been clouded over, our heart has been hardened. And our spirit is kind of withdrawn from the possibilities that God has in store for us. And as we consider what it looks like to uh, discover our shape and step into that and live out of that and participate in the fullness and the promises of God through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to bring all that, all that mess, all that ugliness, all that fracturedness and bring it to the work so that the Holy Spirit can do His work in it. See, a kingdom vision often means, always means even, having in mind others. Having before our thought, our thinking, our participation, what does it look like to bring others with me? What does it look like to build others up? What does it look like to cheer others on? And that's neither being very comfortable and often it means that we cannot have a sense of complacency. It's putting our own interests aside at times for the sake of those who don't yet know or haven't heard the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the call of the church, to have in mind those who do not yet know. It's uncomfortable and it's sacrificial and it often comes with a sadness as we consider what we might need to leave behind or those things that we've once valued or enjoyed. But if we want to step into the fullness of who we are and our calling it's a very personal and intimate decision to say, here am I, Father, and I will do whatever you want for whomever you want. Because as that song says that we just sung, we're invited into something deeper. And often we can spend a lot of time playing on the edge of the lake and God is saying, hey, come and swim with me. Come and swim. Let me teach you how to swim. I can't swim. Let me teach you. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church and he encourages this young, early church who have 
exploded and then spread out through persecution or through because it's one of the churches that Paul has planted and he reminds them of what it is to pursue the heart of the Father. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And humility is not saying I'm lower than others. Let's understand humility. Humility is a sense of being grounded. The Father loves me. I am the Father. I am in the Father. I am grounded. Verse 5, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross." Now here, understand this and capture this. Jesus was participating in this even when there seemed to be little reward or little return for the effort. I know I can get caught up in some, this huge amount of effort and we want this huge reward and whether that's about a personal pride thing that you want some credit, uh, that you want some recognition, whereas Jesus is actually able to go, you know what? This is my call, this is my purpose, I am so grounded in my Father, I will be about my Father's business, whatever the cost, and whoever wants to follow or who doesn't want to follow, whoever's used to what the way things used to be, they can stay in the way, they used to, way you, things used to be. Or those that want to come, you can come. And do you know how many came to start with? Twelve that we know about, maybe a few more. Hundreds started following in them and then they walked away because it got too hard. And then get this, at the end of it all, these, and that's why I've stopped it at these words, therefore, because of that, because of the decision that Jesus made, because of the hope that he had, because of the focus that he had, because of the intent that he had, because of the sacrifice that he made, because of his humility, because he was grounded in the Father's work and who he was in the Father, it was God who exalted him. Now, if we were so focused on others that we wanted to lift them up and point them to God as well, we wouldn't have to worry about who got the credit because God will get the credit and then God will exalt us with him. That could change our whole focus of things. When others tried to give uh, Jesus the expectations and tried to advance his cause and tried to make him the king, to try to make him in charge of the revolution, he stepped back. When others tried to place this expectation upon him about saying, this is what you should do, this is how you should do it, this is how tradition says, demands that you should do it, it was Jesus who said, actually, no, I'm about my father's business. And you don't have to be a part of it if you don't want to. And then it was his father who exalted him. And if we spent less time focused on how we get exalted and more time in the father's business... We might feel a greater sense of peace and security um, and rest. Millard Fuller, who's the co-founder of uh, Habitat for Humanity, which uh, 
uh, go about building homes for low-cost houses and they work with part people who are um, struggling to have their homes or pay off their homes. They set about establishing homes for them. And he said, it's not your blue blood, your pedigree or your college degree, it's what you do with your life that counts. And we've been hearing that for the last eight weeks. It's not where you come from, it's not your experience, but it's how you go about it. Your experience shapes you rather than defines you. And some of those things have got to be surrendered into the heart of the Father. We've got to let go of those things. But then it's what we give our attention to and how God shapes those things for his glory. He said in another, in another interview, nobody loves a good worship service more than I do, but we are called to make religion real, to make our faith come alive. Helping others have a decent place is one way to do that and it doesn't take too long for others to recognise it too. Now, you're not Millard Fuller. Is Millard Fuller's not amongst us, as you know. No. You might not be called to build homes for other people, but some of you are teachers, and that is about being other-centred because you don't know how much credit you're going to get. You, some of you teachers, we get frustrated because we don't get much return, we don't get the response, or things that we think are simple take a long time to get there, don't they? In my fair snapshot of teaching? I feel you, yeah. Um, People don't always respond the way that you want them to, do they? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know that the call of teaching is about others. Do you know, I, know I was trying to think about an industry. I can't think of an industry that's not actually about others. Farming. You can spend a lot of time on your own, but it's not about others. Uh, it's, it's about others more than it is about you, Yeah. Is that right? It's about providing for others. It's about sustaining food for others. What about building homes? You might have the skills, you might have the knowledge, you might have the, the wherefore about building homes, uh, but it's for someone else. Um, nursing. Everything about nursing is for someone else. I don't know what... Think of, a, think of a task and at some point it's got to have an others focused. Everything is about others focused and when we focus on others for the sake of others to see others lifted up, sustained, released, uh, celebrated, actually we find ourselves being exalted because God lifts us up into his plans and his purposes. And it might be, you know, whatever you've got, you might have a passion and you might not know what your passion is yet. That's okay. You need, we need to keep coming back to the Father and saying, I want to be about your business. You know who I am, God. I might not know who I am. And boy, isn't that the story of teenage lives? I don't know who I am. <laughs> Teenagers keep pumping back into the, into the heart of the Father and saying, God, this is, a, this is a mess and I've got no idea, but I've got to press into your heart. And I know some 20-year-olds, some 30-year-olds, some 40-year-olds, 45-year-olds who are still trying to work it out. We've got to keep coming back to the Father. And he releases, he releases the passion. It might not be about homelessness. It might not be about... Um, it might not be about... Um, oh, sorry. It might not be about homelessness, but it could be about slavery. It could be about sex trafficking. It could be about how we educate our children. What's a better way to educate our children? Any number of passions might be yours and that's what Father wants to awake you, awaken you to. 
See, when we combine uh, the love of the Father for us with a passion to genuinely make a difference, the world opens up, your spirit comes alive, and we're awakened out of our complacency and our comfort. And you will find, we all find ourselves in situations where we don't know how to move forward, but you will feel alive. Because you've got to rely on the Father for him to reveal something new. As we moved into uh, this facility in last year, uh, the idea of base camps and peaks uh, came to me. Uh, and uh, we've got to work out what a base camp is and what a peak is. Uh, the Kokoda Track, has anyone here done the Kokoda Trail? The Kokoda Track? Oh, yes, Dean, you have. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Kokoda Track, just a small three day walk. Um, nothing terribly dramatic, isn't that right? It's actually not right. It takes months and months of preparation. The Kokoda Track is uh, the height of the peak is uh, 2,190 metres or 7,185 feet. Mount Everest, on the other hand, so Kokoda Track, you're away for about 10 days, is my understanding. Five to 10 days, but there's months of preparation in that. Mount Everest, uh, is 29,035 feet or 8,848 metres high. Now, if you want to go and do Mount Everest, you're away for two to three months. Kokoda Track might cost you somewhere between five to seven, five to $10,000. If you want to do Mount Everest, it will cost you anything up to $100,000. Now, you might like to do the Kokoda Trail as a warm-up to walking up Mount Everest. But I can guarantee you, you won't pack the same gear. And we've got to determine every now and then, as individuals and as a church, as a community, where our base camps are and which peak we're seeking to take. Because sometimes we know we're taking a peak, but we keep trying to use the same equipment, the same language, the same ideas, the same expressions, the same forms, the same traditions, and we wonder why we're not getting very far. And some of it is because we're not willing to move out of base camp, firstly, but some of it is we're still trying to use stuff from our last peak that is no longer usable or user-friendly for our next peak. We need the base camp to acclimatise, we need the base camp to celebrate, we need the base camp to regroup, we need the base camp to remember that we are not our own. Sundays for me, Sunday morning for me, uh, this facility for me, this is base camp. This is base camp. This is not the peak. We see some great things happen on Sunday morning. We see some new peaks taken on Sunday morning. We want to see new peaks taken on Sunday morning. We want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus. We want to see people baptised. We want to see marriages healed. We want to see lives restored. We want to see miracles happen. And I make no apologies for that because that's our business. But this is not the end of it. This is a time to gather and to celebrate, to re-acclimatise, to reset and go again. And if we don't take the next peak that week that we're struggling with at work, then we come back and we remember that we're not on our own and we reset and we go again and we remember that we are the Father's children. Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 12 says, Therefore... So uh, prior to that, whenever you see therefore in the Bibles, you always got to go look a bit backwards. So it's because of those, there's a great cloud of witnesses um, that uh, the writer talks about, all the great people of faith that we celebrate that incidentally made a whole lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> 
made a mess of their lives at various points. And the writer of the Hebrews get, goes on, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let me just pause here. Every now and then in life, as a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, every now and then we get a little bit stuck because we feel alone. Because we feel like we're doing it on our own. If we ever feel like we're doing it alone, we need to go to those who have gone before us. This is a testimony to those who have gone before us, to those who have overcome. This is not a testimony to those who have been perfect except for Jesus Christ. This is a testimony of the stories that have gone before us of those who have taken their peaks. And we need to be reminded. And then there are those who surround us and then there are our life groups that are a great cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have given testimony to the story, let us, now it's our turn, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, if you're sitting in base camp at the moment or if you're halfway up a peak, do not grow weary and do not grow, um, lose heart because there are those who have gone before us and maybe we need to throw some stuff off. And we can do that because of all Jesus is and all that he has done. Weariness is a killer. <laughs> and we have so, I have so many conversations with people who... Um, I'll set you a challenge today. When someone asks you today when you're having a cuppa, how are you going? Count how many times someone says to you, I'm busy. No one will today. <laughs> Can't how many times someone does it during the week. Can't how many times you catch yourself doing it today. Because, oh no, I can't say that, Simon said so. If God is our peace and our hope and our rest, why is our first response to how are you going, I'm busy? We make decisions about what we put in our diary. And sometimes those decisions are taking the wrong peaks. They're climbing the wrong mountains. And we might need to come back to base camp and re-acclimatise, reset and go again. Belinda reminded us last week that we need to recognise who or what we might need to surrender because we often try to hold on to so much and we are so overwhelmed. See, we have been created as human beings to play, to conquer, to discover, to explore, uh, to develop. And even if you don't believe in God, you intrinsically know this. There is something in your spirit that said, has a, a dissatisfaction with the way that things are. Things could be better. How do we improve things? How do we change this? And if we are followers of Jesus, then that's the lens at which we're trying to push things forward. So I wanted to just quickly uh, give us uh, what does it look like to go from base camp to peak? Well, firstly, we need a common goal. And our common goal as a church, transforming our community in the name of Jesus. It's pretty simple. I want to be transformed. I want to be changed because I'm in a relationship with Jesus. 
And I want to see others changed and grow deeper into a relationship with Jesus. I need to that happen personally and I want to be a part of it shaping our community as well. And I want to ask us into a time of prayer as our elders, our leaders are going in, uh, in a time of discernment um, and seeking out the Father's desire for us. Pray with us in this. What's God's desire for you? What's God's desire for us? What's God's desire for Horsham and the regents? Um, so that's our common goal, transforming our community in the name of Jesus. We need to, be, we need to prepare ourselves. A decision that will uh, be for others, decisions that will be towards others, uh, decisions that will be seeing others succeed, maybe even laying down things that we don't want to pick up anymore. We need to recognise that there's a cost to this. That might be a financial cost, that might be a resource cost, that might be a time cost, that might even be a cost to the things that we've carried that have prevented us from stepping in. We actually, that's costly because we actually have to give some stuff up. We need to pack the right things. The message is always the same. Good news through Jesus Christ. But the method changes. How we do it, how we go about that, what we explore. And we need to remember um, that it's not done alone. It's not done alone. We might have to make personal decisions, there might be private decisions that we make, but it's done as part of a community. And it's done to shape and influence the community. So I want to go back to the start. We gave you, uh, I gave you a reference um, from Paul. And I want to go back and from the person of Jesus and remind us of the invitation and the challenge that Jesus gives us. And I invite you to consider at this point what it is you need to surrender again. Or maybe you weren't here last week and you need to surrender some things and maybe um, you want to come forward for prayer. Uh, we want to invite that on a regular basis. So I want you to hear from the words of Jesus. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that requires that because of who we are in God, that we're willing to be others-focused. And others-focused isn't being about manipulated or managed by others, but how we best respond to others because of who God is and our willingness to choose to give for the sake of the kingdom. And when we're holding back, we're not actually doing ourselves or anyone else any good. And some of the challenge, some of the barriers to what, you know, the sensing what God might be doing or God's not coming through might actually be about what we're holding on to. And it's a bit hard for God to give us new stuff if we're kind of sitting here like this. So maybe there's some stuff we need to give to God, to release to God, before he can pour out his blessings. And in Mark chapter 10, as I invite our team to come up and lead us in our last song, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who regard, are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over our community and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we're seeking to discover our shape, it is about being grounded in who we are because of who God is. And then when we're grounded in who we are because of who God is, then we can have a focus for others. Then we can be released to be centred on others because we have a vision for others of what God wants. We can't afford to be complacent. We can't afford to be comfortable because there are things that God is calling us into and maybe there's something that God's calling you into today. What do we need to lay down so that we might be fully surrendered and see God exalt us and lift us up so that we might be released to further see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. You might want to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour because you know that something's not quite right. Maybe you've become complacent and comfortable in your life and this is the time that Jesus is stirring and the Spirit's stirring and saying, you know what, maybe it's time to really get serious with me. So we want to invite you just to come and stand at the front. There'll be some elders, there'll be a team of people who will stand here and pray with you. Um, two or three people will just gather around you um, and we'll, we'll just want to gather around you and cheer you on. But maybe today is the day where we say, I'll surrender all to the kingdom purposes.